Welcome to Your Money Counts, a podcast by Marquette Savings Bank. I'm your host, Sean Fedorko. When you're buying a home, there is a lot of paperwork involved. What's necessary, what's merely helpful, and what's superfluous? And really, why does a bank even need all this information? Well, loan officers from Marquette Savings Bank are here to tell you what paperwork you need and why it's important. But before we dive into the substantive questions, we're going to ask, well, something to get to know our bankers. Today, we'll uh, have them introduce themselves, and we'll hear, where would be your dream vacation? My name's Angela Diver. I'm the branch manager of our Liberty office here in Erie, and where I would really like to vacation is Hawaii. Have you ever been? No. How long have you wanted to go? Like forever. Okay. <laughs> Sign me up tomorrow, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, Trisha Snook. I'm the manager at the Steritania Street office. And I think my dream vacation would be Fiji. Like hop all the islands? Sure. Okay. I like Somewhere it. Somewhere warm, sunny, and with a drink in my hand. Okay. See, that's important. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My name is Jennifer Bond, and I am the manager of the Peach Street office and a loan originator there. And I would have to say I would go any place warm where the water's turquoise blue. Oh, I like that. Okay. So I'm not picky. I would go anywhere. La warm water destinations. Yes, yes. Okay. White well, sandy beaches. Uh, what about you? Oh, me? Oh, wow. If I was to take a vacation, a uh, mountainous cabin in the woods, big conifer forest next to a, gla- a glacial lake where I had a kayak, cabin, steaks, bourbon, and books. Wow, Sounds you know, great. All planned I'm out. ready to go. I've been fantasizing for a while. Yeah. Lined up. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, you know, one day, hopefully in the future. First, you know, I'm going to buy a house, and we're here, of course, to talk about, well, getting mortgage applications, other types of loans. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, I know that in order for a mortgage to be processed, you obviously need a lot of information from me well, or from anybody coming in. Um, you know, what legwork should that person do before they come talk to you? So before they come and get a mortgage application, what should they have ready? Okay. So um, if, you've, if you've already looked for a home and you've already have a sales agreement in place, then, of course, that would be primarily your first thing that you would want to bring if you're purchasing a property. And then once we um, kind of feel out what your current income situation is, then we would guide you as to what you would need to bring. So um, if you work just a standard job that gives you some pay stubs and W-2s, then we're going to look for some current pay stubs, your W-2s and tax returns. Um, And then we're going to look at where do you have those assets in place to cover your deposit and closing costs. So we may want to look at some financial statements that way as well. Um, And then it can get a little more complex just depending on your income situation. So if you're self-employed or if you're doing Social Security and pension and things like that, then, you know, we would go in another direction as far as what we would ask for. So is this going to be more than what I have to bring in for pre-qualification? Yes. So pre-qual is a little more informal where we – you know, kind of take what you tell us. And then when you come in to apply, that's when we need those firm documents to prove you do indeed make those amounts. Okay. You said you're going to look at my assets. So does that mean like, does it matter if I have a 401k? Does it matter if I have bullion stashed in a safe at Mm -hmm. home? Like what assets are you looking at? So when, when we look at a customer for qualifying, we are required to ensure that the customer has, um, not only the funds to close, 
for their down payment and closing costs. But in addition to that, we need to make sure that the customer has cash reserves available. So in the event if their income was to stop, if someone was to lose their job, um, that they'd be able to continue to make their monthly payment each month you know, because they have other funds in a checking or savings or So what you're guarding against is making sure that people aren't put kind of on a knife's edge and they could fall off at Correct. any moment. You want to make Correct. sure that uh, if I buy this house, I'm not putting myself in a precarious situation. Correct. Uh, because, of course, your goal is to make sure that people can keep the house, mm-hmm. keep making payments, which is helpful for you. Um, but, you know, that they themselves are going to be well. Uh, cared for in the event that some shock happens. Correct. Because we don't want to take the house back. We're not in the business of taking people's houses back. We're in the the business of of helping a customer purchase their home. And, um, you know, so again, we want to make sure that we aren't putting someone in a, a situation where if something happens, if they lose their job, if they get injured or something like that and can't work, that they're not going to have a steady income stream to make their payments. Um, they'll have the assets, like Angela had had said, they'd have those to fall back on, whether it be, you know, a retirement account or, you know, investments, mutual funds, things like that. So what are some of the documents? So I'm going to, you know, get a list going here. We got W-2s. We got pay stubs. What else? For those assets that Jennifer and Angela both mentioned, uh, we're going to ask for two months of your most recent bank statements. Okay bank statements. And that's for like every account that I've got. Checking and savings. Checking mm-hmm. and savings. Money market. Mm-hmm. Checking, savings, money market. Um, what else might I bring in? Like tax returns? Two current or two of the most recent years, federal tax returns. So my last two tax returns. Uh, what else? Asset statements. So the asset statements are different from the bank statements. The asset statements would be like if you have a 401k, a mutual fund, annuity, something like that, that would be considered an asset statement. And we just need one of those statements. Most of those aren't monthly. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are quarterly. Mm-hmm. So your most recent quarter that you would have received. Okay. So most recent quarter. What about if I own like physical assets? Like I own some land or I have uh, like three, you know, kind of sports cars or something, or I've got a boat or I've got three boats, a plane. Uh, what about these assets? We, oh, sorry. We would note them within the application as assets, but we wouldn't require you to bring in documentation to support like that title. you own those. No. no. Okay. Do you even yeah. have a title for a plane? I don't know. Uh, probably. I don't know. It's yeah. probably yeah. titled. It's probably yeah. a title. I mean, you got to prove who owns it. Okay. Um, I don't own a plane. Uh, or no, I mean, I could Yet. one day. Yes. Thank you. See, that's aspirational. That's what I like. You're flying um, to your mountainous vacation. Fly to my mountain retreat. Right. Um, let's see. Well, that sounds – I mean, it's a lot of paperwork. Uh, what else? Anything that would be helpful? What about identification? Can I bring a passport? Do I need a passport? Do I need a birth certificate, social security card? What other kind of stuff? Government issued valid ID. So ideally a driver's license or a PA ID card, or if you're moving from out of state, you know, as long as it's a government issued valid identification driver's license or a passport that can be used as well. And, uh, let's say I'm buying this home, small family, uh, and I've got a spouse, all of this stuff for both of us. Assuming you're both on the application. Yeah, we're yes. both on the application. Yes. Need it for both of us. Um, you know, what if I'm buying the house, my spouse isn't, you know, it's going to be in my name. Do you fa- like take into account that this is a dual income household? So because you calculate kind of those assets or do you treat it just as me independently? The, the income is going to be just for the individuals that are on the application. Okay. 
whoever's listed as the borrower, their income and their assets can be taken into consideration in qualifying. Okay. If somebody's not listed as a borrower, then we can't use okay. their income and assets. Um, so it's a whole lot of paperwork. Obviously, it's pretty easy for me to pull that all together and like carry it in. Can I do this online? Could I submit this stuff if I have it as like PDFs or enter the numbers online? Yeah. So if you um, if you decide to apply right directly through our website, um, and you'll actually electronically sign most of your documents, and then um, we will actually email you for a few additional things that we would need for you to send, which you could certainly send in PDF form as far as um, those pay stubs and W twos and things like that. And, and we recognize that not every customer is comfortable with applying online, so we have options available. If if someone's custom, if if some customer is a, a, a comfortable applying, if a customer is comfortable applying online, then we have that option available. But a lot of customers still prefer to come in and sit down face to face and meet with someone to talk about everything and to do the application in person. So, um, and I could switch like halfway through. So like I'm oh, halfway. Yes. Th- I've been doing Correct. this online. And you've been sending emails. I've been sending supplemental documents. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, I'd really like to just sit down and sort this out. I can call and say, or even, even walk in. Yes. But ideally, I guess I'm probably going to schedule an appointment and I could just come in and talk Correct. to them. Right. And that happens a, frequently. I was going to say, I think it's important to note, too, that you know, t- you bring everything in and we collect at one time. Um, I had an application yesterday, actually, where the customer asked me at the end of the application if they evidently they were told by someone else that they would probably have to bring the stuff back in a second time. And I, you know, told them, nope, I've got everything here. I'm going to keep a hard copy of everything until your loan closes. There's no reason you should have to present things more than once. Mm -hmm. Right. In another scenario, like you mentioned there, Mm -hmm. you may want to get things started and not have all of this documentation printed or available electronically. It doesn't mean that you can't come in and get your application started. We certainly prefer to have as much information as we can to get things going, but we understand that there might be a scenario or a situation where you don't. It doesn't mean that you can't go home that night and then send it to us in a PDF or stop in, you know, a week later and bring it to us. Well, and, and in like, order to, to keep the ball rolling, we prefer to, to get the material as quick as possible, but we understand that it might not all be readily available at that moment. And and to uh, Trisha's point, I met with a customer a couple weeks ago that had the list of information, but forgot to bring the envelope from home. So we still met, we did the application, he signed everything, and then he dropped everything off at a later time. We made copies and returned it to him. So it's helpful if the customer has it, because when you're entering the income information on the application, you want to use the most accurate figure as possible. And when you have a pay stub in front of you, you can look right at it and calculate it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, we can go back in and update those figures. If, if the customer thinks they have 2000 in their checking, but when they bring their statement in, it's actually $2,500, then we can just go in and update it. So, you know, nothing is cast in stone. We can adjust those things as we need to. All right. So, you know, we're talking about what sound like pretty typical cases. I'm a full-time employee. Uh, I've got Salary and benefits, so I've got a W-2, I've got pay stubs, I've got a savings checking. What if, uh, you know, as is the case with many of the millennial generation, I'm a freelancer or I've started my own small business. So maybe I'm taking owner draws out of my LLC or uh, maybe I'm a 1099 contractor, so I don't have any W-2s. Tell me about the kind of documentation you I suppose it would be more onerous, right, because it's not as predictable as a W-2. Uh, talk to me about the case of 
a contract worker who's primarily receiving 1099 payments. So someone that's getting 1099 is typically filing a Schedule C, I'm guessing. Um, so we would want to look at tax returns at that point. So we understand they're not getting a regular pay stub and they're just going to have those bulk amounts throughout the year. So um, we typically want to look at two years tax returns um, and then even possible a personal financial statement if they have one. Um, if they don't have one, we can provide them a form to fill out so we can get a good feel for the stability of their business. So, and, and for the audience at home, you know, who aren't familiar with 1099, 1099 would be like a contract or a gig worker. You know, if I've taken a three-month contract as a writer or uh, am doing some software development work, I might receive pay and I'm going to have to record that to the government. It's going to be a 1099 uh, report. But uh, tell me about this personal financial statement. What is a personal financial statement? The personal financial statement is basically like a, a snapshot of your personal portfolio. So you would list, um, you do list some of your asset information on there, um, and you list all of your income and project. I think, believe the projected income for that year as well. So we can kind of see where things are right now with you and your business. Because maybe, you know, maybe 2017 wasn't a better year for you, but in 2018 business ramped up, and so far in 2019. Or 2020, it's you know, it's it's doing better. So we want to have a good picture of of the income and how it's changing. You might even have, depending on how far you are through the year, you might even have a profit and loss statement that you would be able to prepare for the current year. So that, like Angela said, with projections, you might be able to see 2017 and 2018 in tax return form. But then we can see where are you going for 2019 by asking for a current profit and loss statement. So thinking about a profit and loss statement, you know, let's move from maybe the, the freelancer or contractor into the small business owner. So maybe I've got a small business. Uh, I might even have a couple of employees. Maybe those employees are W-2'd, but I'm still taking owner draws. Um, I've got my P&Ls, you know, I run every month and I kind of show the financial health of my business, but I don't even have sort of a, a, a monthly 1099 to give you. How are you evaluating the financial viability of that individual who may have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in assets within the business owned by the business and may have a healthy, thriving business, but doesn't have as much of a documented, um, consistent income? Well, I think that in some cases where if it's uh, if you have a, a contract with a company to do a job, uh, you, typically your contract and the information that you're disclosing is in most cases verifiable with the copies of the bank statements. Because if you contract with a company to get paid, you know, five thousand dollars for a job that you're going to do, there's typically an offset where you see the deposit going into your account. And, you know, you can provide copies of the checks that you've deposited if they've paid you or if it's a direct deposit, you know, you, you, you know, may be able to offset that to verify it that way. Whereas with pay stubs, it's a little bit it's easier. Obvious, yeah. Exactly. So is, is the financial health of my small business going to influence my ability to uh, purchase a home or is it purely the amount of money that I'm taking home out of that well, business? Well, if you are self-employed then we typically ask for two years of personal and business tax returns oh, okay. if you have more than 20% ownership interest in the property so or if in I have the business, I should say. More than 20%, you're mm -hmm. going to ask for the business tax returns mm -hmm, right. too. Correct. Okay. Then, you know, we've talked kind of about one extreme, sort of a W-2, regular employee. We've talked about kind of self-employed, either a contractor or business owner. I imagine you see uh, 
blurred or combined cases, right, where I have some W-2 employment. Maybe I am full-time or part-time employed. But the other thing I'm doing is contract work. Or maybe I do have kind of a small business on the side that I'm trying to get going. So you'll combine all of these into a much more complicated, you know, calculation about my financial health. Right. And, you know, one thing that we all see a lot of that we haven't even mentioned yet is a lot of customers, a lot of customers have rental properties Mm. and are drawing rent Mm -hmm. from those rental properties. So, you know, in the case where someone is a landlord and they have rental properties or investment properties, that would be another case in which we would want to get, you know, the last two years worth of tax returns to see, you know, the income that they're actually drawing, what their their true net rent figures are that they're that they're earning on these properties, because there are expenses that come along with those properties. Right. In addition to that, we may ask for the current leases mm-hmm. as well. So it would show on the tax returns, but it may be beneficial to have the current leases that you uh, have signed with your renters at that time as well. Okay. Well, is there anything else we've missed? Anything we haven't covered that would be kind of crucial for somebody to consider as a document they'd want to get in order before coming in and seeing you? Angela mentioned the sales agreement. So a fully executed sales agreement, which would be the buyer's signatures, the seller's signatures, uh, that everything's initialed and signed off on by all parties, a copy of the deposit check. You know, when you make a deposit on the sales contract, you have to give them a deposit. We would need a copy of the deposit check. Um Valid ID, uh, I think. Blood sample. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Firstborn. First right. Fingerprints. Right. You will pay for when you come in and do the application as well. You will need a form of payment to pay for the credit report and the appraisal fee uh, to get that process going. Uh, we can accept payment in pretty much any form, cash, check, debit, or credit card. Okay. Pennies. Bitcoin. Right. Correct. Does does Marquette work with no. cryptocurrency? No. Holy cow! Okay, okay. Are you okay. saying yes to the pennies? Uh, I was saying yeah, yes to her pennies, pennies not okay. to your Bitcoin, right? right. Um, well, I I think that helps our our listeners get a pretty good list of everything they might want to pull together, regardless of how they're earning their income, um, to get ready for coming in and and being prepared for their their mortgage application. Well, that's our show today. Um, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, To learn more, you can go to marquettesavings.bank, and there you can schedule an appointment online to talk to one of our loan officers face-to-face or over the phone. Your Money Counts is a podcast brought to you by Marquette Savings Bank, an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. We look forward to you tuning in to continue learning more about how your money will count. Have a good night or morning or afternoon. I don't know, whenever you listen to this. (music) 